contrast between God's justice and God's grace uh, for us in our communion time. Also, a contrast between those who have found that grace and those who have not. Uh, that's really what I want to speak to today. I'd like to invite you to pray with me as we uh, go to the Word of God together. Father, we humble ourselves before your word today. We open our hearts, our lives, our souls to you. I pray that in these next uh, 25 or 30 minutes together that we, we would be true. We would be honest with you, with ourselves, even with our brothers and sisters here. Helped us to be uh, one of the most real moments we've had for a long time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One day Jesus and his disciples were in the temple grounds. They'd done this many times before. So they're out kind of walking around the temple grounds, seeing people worshiping the Lord. There's the outer courts. There's the inner area uh, where the priests could go and then they knew inside it was a holy of holies where only the high priest could go. And here they had been on this grounds many times before, but on this occasion, as they're leaving the temple area, the disciples pulled Jesus aside and, and they called attention to the magnificent buildings that Herod the Great had built some years before. The temple was an amazing complex, really, of massive, uh, wonderfully constructed buildings. And the disciples were impressed, as many people were. And like everyone else, they thought, this temple will be here forever. How surprised they must have been when Jesus responded to them. He said, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Well, the disciples were so taken back, we have no response recorded for some minutes. They they left, they went out of the city, and they got all the way up to the Mount of Olives where they were staying each night when they finally either got their thoughts clear enough to ask a question or maybe they just had enough courage to ask the question. And what they said to him as Matthew 24 begins is this. They came to Jesus privately, just the 12 of them with Jesus, and they said, when? When is this going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of of the end of the age. And so in Matthew 24, Jesus gave the most complete description of the end that he ever gave. And I guess I hadn't realized it before, but he gave it only to the twelve. It wasn't a crowd of people around. It wasn't that he was speaking to hundreds or thousands of people. It was just the twelve. But he wanted to make it very clear what was going to happen. And the signs they were to look for. And then, of course, that was left for us to read as Matthew recorded it for us. And after telling his disciples about the signs of the end of the world and his coming back to gather up all those who are going to be saved, Jesus said, no one knows when. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus didn't even know. He said, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. The flood had been predicted and Noah's preaching about it and telling people about it and everybody's just going about their business as always. 
People are marrying. People are, are having babies. People are dying. People are conducting their business. And all of a sudden, the flood begins. The door to the ark is shut. It will be like that, Jesus said. People are going to be caught by surprise. So the second coming of Jesus will catch everyone by surprise. And he told his disciples, Therefore, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And immediately after this, continuing to Matthew 25, Jesus shares with these twelve three very important parables. We're going to look at just the first of them today. And he shares this with them to illustrate basically the same purpose. Keep watch. Be prepared. Because the time is coming. And this morning as we explore the parable of the ten bridesmaids, the ten virgins, beginning of chapter 25, would you please turn there and let's see what the Lord says in this parable. You can go ahead and read about the talents and the sheep and the goats on your own. In fact, I think we're going to get to those later this summer. Chapter 25. Now, I want to ask this before we get into it. Was Jesus right? Was Jerusalem destroyed? Absolutely. 70 AD, the Romans came against the city. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed most of Jerusalem. Just as he said, not one stone was left upon another. And no temple was there. Today, there is a Muslim shrine there called the Dome of the Rock. The fall of Jerusalem was God's judgment upon the Jews, upon Israel. Temple services ceased. Animal sacrifices stopped, never to start again. The curtain in the Holy of Holies, so you know that it torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on the cross, and they repaired it, was now torn down and burned. The Holy of Holies was destroyed. For 2,000 years, the Jews have had no temple to go to. All they have left of the ancient city is the Wailing Wall. And they go there praying, God, why? God, when are you going to do something? God, when are you going to show up? When will Messiah come? Because they've missed the whole thing that God has already done. The destruction of Jerusalem and its magnificent temple serves as a type of the end of time for all of humanity, for the entire world, as it came to Jerusalem, so this will sudden destruction will come upon the whole earth. There will be final judgment for everyone. Will we be ready? Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and, lamp and jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's a bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, Go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the, alsos, uh, the others came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. 
Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Notice that last statement. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Once again, Jesus' parable makes a powerful point about eternity based on a very familiar, commonplace, everyday event in their culture. It was a wedding. Now, all the disciples had been to a wedding. All of us have been to weddings, I imagine. Notice, in this case, the groom is Jesus. But who's the bride? Doesn't say, but it's us, the church. We are not told in this case who the bride is. Jesus' emphasis, Jesus' point is about the bridesmaids who have gathered to welcome the groom as he arrived. A little different setting than maybe we have in our weddings, like the one we had here yesterday. In the first century Jewish wedding, things were very different. We have weddings uh, like yesterday that began promptly at 3 p.m. after all the guests had arrived. Actually, we went about a minute over because one lady came in right at the end. They wanted her to sign the guest book and be seated and everything. But we were all wanting to start. The Jewish culture of that time, they didn't care about when it started. It was just kind of, oh, it's going to happen. And in that wedding, the groom came into the sanctuary first. But the highlight of the processional day is when the bride enters the room, right? Yesterday, everyone else had come in. I came in, the groom came in, all the groomsmen came in. And we watched the ladies coming down the aisle. Then we watched the flower girl, then the ring bearer. But when the bride came out on her brother's arm, everybody stood up. This was the biggest moment. The organ got louder. Everything happened. All because they were welcoming this bride. But in the Jewish culture of that time, the emphasis was on the groom. We spent months talking with this bride about this ceremony. The groom just kept saying, whatever she wants, whatever she wants. <laughs> You know how that goes. <laughs> we have a show today called Bridezilla. Have you watched that? Whew. One episode was enough for me. Could you imagine how boring a Groomzilla show would be? You know, the bride's the only thing. But in the first century, it was the groom. And in the first century, the newlyweds didn't go on a honeymoon. They hadn't heard of that. In fact, they stayed in town and they welcomed their guests to the festivities and they paid for all of that, and often it would last for a week or more. It wasn't the three-hour event yesterday was, you know, in the reception and all. There was no set time for the feast to begin, no set time for it to end, really. And the guests were just waiting until the appearance, till the arrival of the groom. And so that's the situation here. And once he arrives, then he invites him in. And this is the picture. In Jesus' parable, all ten bridesmaids were dressed and waiting. All ten of them had been invited. All ten were anticipating a good time and a great feast. All ten of them had fallen asleep and were surprised when he finally came at midnight. You know, they just got tired of waiting. All ten of them were glad to be invited, but only five of them were prepared to wait through the night if they had to. The other five were foolish enough to think that they were ready when they, in fact, were not. Don't miss that point. All of them had begun the night burning their lamps. Clay lamps like this one pictured on your screen. Let's see that up there, please, Adam. This little clay lamp is a pretty interesting thing. You see out in the little hole in the front, that's where the flame would be. The big hole so you can keep filling it, and the flame doesn't go out. 
Uh, it sounds like a fire hazard to me, but that's how they did it. And they could keep on adding more. And if you carried the jar of oil with you, you could go all night long. But if you just counted on this little tiny lamp, because they're only about this big, you're going to run out. They could know. They could prepare. They could plan. They could know that they would run out if they didn't carry the extra jar of oil. But these foolish virgins thought, doesn't matter. He'll come. He'll come early. We'll be okay. And so when the bridegroom came, they were out. This parable has been a very popular parable down through the centuries. If you look through art, if you're into art, many, many paintings have been made about this. Many plays have been written. Many times the, 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 the parts have been acted out, you know. Many preachers and commentators like to grab onto this and say, oh, I'll tell you all about this one. I'll tell you what every little piece means. I'll tell you who all the players are. And I'll, I'll tell you what each character signifies. But you know you miss the point of a parable if you do that. Because remember, a parable is about one thing. The parable is illustrating one powerful point. We must be careful that we don't dissect it and we define all the various pieces of the story to make as many points as we possibly can. And since Jesus had been already talking with them about the end, Matthew 24, guess what it's about? It's about the end. And it's about being prepared for that moment. The point is that we must be ready for his coming. We must be ready for the end of time and the beginning of eternity with or without Christ. There will be a line drawn. And we will be on one side or the other. And we won't be able to do anything about it once it happens. That's the point. Either you're prepared or you're not. Either you're wise or you're foolish. Are we ready are we prepared for Jesus' return? Now, all of the bridesmaids fell asleep before the groom came. That's okay. You know, we all have a lot going on. We all get tired. But some of them slept the, the sleep of peace, you know, of satisfaction of knowing the Lord, and some slept just a foolish kind of sleep. Eh, whatever. Some woke with oil still burning in their lamps. So, you know, it's still okay. Because just before they went to sleep, they refilled that thing. And they were ready. And others, others had made no preparation. There wasn't time to go buy more oil. There was no need, uh, no way to regain what they had lost. And time was up. You know, I thought about bringing an alarm clock up here today, and I had no way I could do that. But I thought, I'm just going to have an alarm clock go off sometime. I was like, oh, that's it. Time's up. Let's all go home. Because that's how sudden it's going to be. We think we have a plan. We think we know where it's going to go. But eventually there will be a moment that only God knows himself. When Jesus returns, the end has come. And there will be no preparations, no reparations made after that. Are we ready? Now let's stop here for a moment. Because it's really easy for us as Christians, or as people who go to church all the time, to think it's about everybody out there. Look at all those people. They're so foolish. They're not ready. Remember who Jesus is telling the parable to. He's telling it to the disciples. Why? Because you may think you're in when you're not. You may think you're prepared when you're not. You may think you're ready when you're not. There are people in church today who are not as ready as they think they are. 
They look as good as the other people who are going to church around them, but something inside is different about them. They have heard about Jesus. They have heard how he came to earth to save us, but they have never really trusted him as their Savior. They do not have a personal relationship with him, and they are not as ready as they think they are. There are others who have even gone further. There are those who have tasted what God has given them. Those who have embraced Christ, maybe put their faith in Christ, and for one reason or another have decided to let go of Him. Hebrews 6.4 warns us of the danger of people who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and yet have somehow walked away from Christ. Hebrews 6.6 says that they have fallen away and it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. That's scary reading. These are people who have, who have embraced Christ, who have, have, have known Christ in some degree, to some level, and they decided they don't want Jesus anymore. They are like the people Jesus talked about in the parable of the soils, which we looked at earlier this summer. They're like the shallow soil, that thin layer of soil where the seed germinated quickly, the plants started to grow, but because it didn't have any roots, when the sun came up, it withered and died. Never became what it was supposed to become because the soil was so shallow. When things got just a little bit difficult, they were nowhere to be found. That's like these foolish bridesmaids. Unprepared, not as ready as they think they are. You know, in April 1988, there was a news story that came out about a photographer who was so excited to be part of this group of parachutists. He was a parachutist, and this whole group was going to jump out of the plane, and he was going to interview each of them as they're free-falling through the air, you know, and catch it all on, on camera. So he's going from person to person. He'd sail to the next person and talk to them and so on. Got to the last person, interviewed them, and all of a sudden... All of a sudden, that was the end. Because he forgot to put his shoot on. True story. And when everyone else pulled their ripcord, you know, to have that shoot open and bring them safely to earth, he pulled and there was nothing there to pull. He was so excited about his story, he forgot to wear a parachute. He made a foolish and deadly mistake. Nothing could save him because his faith was in a parachute he never put on. <laughs> now, what did the bridesmaids have in their lamps? Oil. Some people call it the oil of readiness, oil of anticipation, maybe. The oil of preparedness. And they were all supposed to keep this oil lit until the groom arrived. And then they were to enter into the banquet room with him. But the foolish bridesmaids had run out. And while they were running to get more, the groom arrived and the door was shut. And when I read this parable, I realized that the worst words we could ever hear from God were the words that the groom gave at the doorway as they were banging on the door. Let us in, let us in. And he said to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Wow. This critical phrase is important. Does God know you? Yeah, he knows me. He's known me all my life. No, does he know you as one of his own? Have you received him? Have you accepted him? Have you entered into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ? Have you counted on his grace to save you? Does he know you? 
Are we in or out? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus talked about true and false disciples. He said this, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In Luke 13, 23, someone in the crowd asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus answered, Luke 13, 24, he says, Make every, enter to enter, every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner gets up and he closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. And then you will say, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's talking to us, the people of the church, the Christians of today. Now in Jesus' parable, the bridegroom was a long time coming. In the same way, Jesus has been a long time coming. You know, from our perspective, 2,000 years have passed. Where is he? Well, it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime is what we start thinking. The early church had thought that Jesus would probably come in a few weeks or at the most a few months. Some people quit their jobs. Some sold everything expecting the end to come at any time. Why bother? Let's just worship the Lord every day. Let's go to the temple. Let's tell other people about Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus is coming. And when Jesus delayed in coming, the man, money ran out and they became a burden to the others in the church. Eventually they had to go get new jobs and new houses to live in. Even then, the expectation that Jesus would return in the early church was real. They expected him to return during their lifetimes, but he did not. And as time has gone along, after generation after generation, and we have we've gone through all these cycles without his return, the church has become less and less expectant of his return, less and less prepared for his return. Many times Jesus told his followers, be ready, no one knows the hour when the Son of Man will return, so be ready. Expect it any time. And we need to hear that warning in this generation, do we not? How many of us live day after day as if this is the only life we will ever know? I would be remiss if I did not make the following points as we finish up. First of all, no one knows the hour of Christ's return. Someone tells you they know exactly when he's coming, run the other way. Because <laughs> nobody knows. Jesus said it. Somebody comes to you and says, it's going to be on October 12th, 2012, or whatever the date was. Forget it. They don't know what they're talking about because Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. I always wondered if somebody's wasting all their time trying to predict when he's coming back, what's the point of that? You know, as our plan, once we know the date, you know, we'll just do whatever we want until the day before. Then, then we'll make preparation those last 24 hours. We'll be all set to go. 
Or, no, we won't tell anybody else about Jesus' return because we got 10 years until then. And when we get down to the final year, then we'll do something about that. For now, we'll live any way we want. You know, the whole thing, Jesus said it doesn't matter. We can't change the time. We can't know the time. Just be ready. Secondly, no one can prepare for Christ's return for anyone else, no matter how much you'd like to do that. You can't ride the coattails of your parents or your brother, your sister, your spouse. You can't put someone else's oil in your lamp. You must have your own oil. You must have your own faith. You must have your own relationship with Jesus. I grew up in a godly home. I went to church every time the doors opened. Some of you have that same reflection and, and, and experience in your life. And, you know, if, it, if the church was doing something, we were there doing it. And it was only because at some point God grabbed my heart that I made a decision for me. And my parents stood there and cried when I did that. Because they knew you got what we wanted you to get. You took it as your own. You put faith in Christ yourself because we could not do that for you. So just because you were raised in a Christian home or because you go to church every week, or this does not necessarily mean that you have faith. You may sing a few songs with us. You may enjoy the fellowship. But you can't catch faith like you catch a cold. It's not a communicable disease, you know. You cannot borrow it from someone else. Your faith must be your own. Thirdly, everyone then must be sure that they are prepared and ready. There aren't any exceptions. There aren't any excuses. Everyone, you know, they said don't speak in generalities. Here's one you got to speak in. Everyone must be prepared. Once Jesus arrives, it will be too late to get ready. And we must get ready now. Rodney Buchanan warned, be sure that you are truly prepared because it is possible to look just like everyone else, talk like everyone else, carry a Bible, and desire to go to heaven, go to church, think of yourself as a Christian, yet ultimately be unprepared. It is possible to know about Christ and not know Christ. It is possible to know the Bible and not be living for the God of the Bible, not doing what the Bible says. It is possible to be a nice person and to know all the right doctrine, yet have no relationship with God. It is possible to look like everyone else, he says, and have your Christianity on the surface while never allowing it to penetrate who you are and change the way you live. So the final thing is this, is a question. How do I get ready? How do I stay prepared? Because that's the whole point of Jesus' parable today. And this is what I would say. I'd say, you need to get to know Jesus as soon as you can. You need to know Him on a personal basis. And you do that by humbling yourself before Him. By, by admitting who you are and what you've done. By admitting your sins. By asking Him to save you from them. You do that by accepting God's grace. That you can't earn this you can't pay for this because Jesus has already done it. And when you accept God's grace, you put your trust, you put your confidence in Jesus, not in yourself. You must put your trust in Jesus to save you. Be baptized into Christ. Receive the Spirit of God into your life and it will make 
all the difference of how you can live from that day on. So begin that relationship with Christ as soon as you can. Make sure that you make Jesus not only your Savior, but your Lord. A lot of people like to gravitate onto Jesus, you know, grab him because he wants to save them. But they're really not interested in the Lordship part, in the Master part of it, when they have to obey him. Make him your boss. Listen to him. Obey him. Follow him. Live for him, not for yourself. And then also we're supposed to tell others. We're supposed to share that testimony. We're supposed to share that witness of who Christ is and help other people to get ready. And that will help you to stay ready. Remember that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims here. One day Jesus will come for us and he will take us home to be with him forever. So that's how you get ready and stay prepared. There was a king who had all this this world could offer. He was wealthy beyond what he could ever desire. But the thing he loved most when he got tired of all his toys was he loved to laugh. He really loved humor. He loved to be able to just have a good laugh about something. And so he kept people around him. They kept his spirits up and kept the laughter going. And once while he was being entertained, this new jester came on the scene. And he wanted to perform for the king. And he was... His antics were so amazing. His, his humor was so contagious that at the end of it, the king says, Would you be my court jester? I want you to be the guy that, that keeps me happy every day, keeps me laughing. And the jester agreed to do that. And the king gave him a stick. He said, I want you to keep this stick. And he said, Well, what's this about? He says, oh, He's kind of poking fun. He says, Just keep this stick in your hip pocket. And if you ever meet somebody... More foolish, more crazy than you, give it to him. <laughs> and so he took the stick, and the king was laughing as the jester walked off. Well, many years passed by. Stick was never mentioned again. And the king now was laying on his deathbed, ready to go at any moment. So he called for his jester because he thought, you know, I need a little bit of levity here. I need somebody, everybody's gloom and doom. Let somebody come in and just make me laugh once more. And so the jester came in and he did his job. The king was laughing when he was ready to leave. Before he left, the jester said, Can I say something to you privately? And the king left, had everybody else leave the room. He said, Sure. He says, King, I want to know, where are you going? The king answered, I don't know. I guess I'm just going on this long journey. I don't know where. The king and the, the jester asked him again, he says, well, how do you plan to get there? And the king said, I don't know. It was then that the jester reached in his back pocket, pulled out the stick, and gave it to the king. And he said, why are you giving me this stick? And he says, because I have now met the most foolish man I've ever met. I made fun about the things in this life, but you have been foolish about eternity. The Bible encourages us with these words from Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence 
we had at the first. Let's pray. Father, we've got a lot on our minds today. Some of us have been Christians for a long time, but we really haven't thought about Jesus' return for some time now. Some of us have gone to church our whole life, but we're wondering now if we really know you, or even better, do you know us as one of your own? Some of us know, in fact, that we have never taken a step toward you. We've always just admired you from a distance. And wherever we may be today, Lord, I pray that each of us would hear your Spirit speaking to us in a small, quiet voice, but in a very powerful, life-impacting way. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you taking as many people with you as you can? We come to a decision time today, Lord. Something needs to be decided. Probably in every heart here today. Help us to have the courage to make the decision we need to. For you may return at any moment. Amen.